Good evening. Welcome to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guide podcast live on all your favorite channels. Today, I am joined with the awesome and amazing Twitter celebrity <laughs> and journalist, Simone Stolzoff, who is a designer at IDEO and a freelance journalist with The Atlantic and a few other awesome publications. And today we're going to be diving deep on the future of work, his thoughts on workforce skills training post COVID-19, but also, you know, something that he talks about often and how he positions himself as a storyteller. And I want to talk to him a little bit more about the importance of storytelling in today's day and age, especially. But more importantly, what is his definition of the future of work and how are some of the things that are going on right now in a post-COVID-19 economy going to affect what work means for us long term? And I would love for our amazing community all over the world to show us some love in the comments. If you are tuning in, please let me know where you're tuning in from. I would love to shout you out before we start this episode and say hi and, you know, just check in with you. So shout out to EWX organization who's tuning in from, hey, man, interesting, which is a I don't know if that's an actual location, but let us know where you're tuning in from and viewing this episode from and say hi to us in the comments. And as you do that, I'm going to bring on Simone onto the show. What's up, man? Hey, Tim. Nice to see you. (laughs) Nice to see you. How are you doing, man? Doing well. You know, I feel like. We get that question so often these days, and it's always this kind of like hedging of like, I'm doing pretty well, all things considered. <laughs> I'm staying safe. I'm healthy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Glad it's Friday. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, man. So, hey, Edith, thank you for tuning in. So, talk to us, Simone. Tell us a little bit about your background and how long you've been doing your work as a designer slash storyteller, but also just a future of work thought leader, man. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, first, thanks for, for having me on the show. It's It's really nice to be here. Um, I, so my background is as a journalist, uh, so I started in school, I was actually uh, a poetry major as an undergrad and worked as a reporter for a number of years covering tech and labor and um, kind of the intersection and I, that's how I kind of found this, this area around thinking about automation and the future of work and education and where they all intersect. Um, but about two years ago or so, I took a, a non-journalism job that's a little bit mm. uh, sacrilegious, but I took a job <laughs> at this uh, global design and innovation agency called IDEO based in San Francisco. And, you know, I often think about journalists as being really good at um, identifying problems, you know? Yeah. And I think designers um, kind of endeavor to solve them. You know, it's kind of mm. two, si- two sides of the same coin. So I covered these issues as a reporter for a long time, and I still do kind of on a freelance basis. Um, but now I work kind of project-based work thinking about how we can, like, design for, for this future. Um, yeah. Specifically, I work within a studio of IDEO called Design for Learning, um, mm. and it's really kind of learning in a broad sense. We do some like traditional kind of K twelve and higher ed consulting, um, but my focus is really on like lifelong learning. So, how wow. do you prepare adults for um, kind of resilient careers and prepare communities for um, resilience in, in the face of forces like automation? Um, and thinking about like how education can be like a lever for economic mobility. Yeah, or even unexpected market, you know, uh, triggers like COVID nineteen, right? How do you because it's it's caused so many people to to lose their jobs and and fall into un- unemployment, right? And you know, I want to ask you, and before I ask, I want to show some love to our amazing viewers. Shout out to Lee, who's tuning in from Kalamazoo, Ooh. Kalamazoo, where Lee is that Kalamazoo, Missouri? <laughs> and shout out to James, who's tuning in from Lake Worth, Florida. 
Thank you so much, James, for being a part of this episode. And shout out to Dee, who is telling us she hopes that we are keeping safe and healthy. Thank you so much, Dee, for your loving words. Yes, so Simone, I would love to kind of, you know, where did you start getting passionate about, you know, the future of learning and, you know, your, your love for design? Where did that stem from? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it comes from the the importance that I've seen in my own life of, of learning. Yeah. I've been able to kind of expand my own horizons of what I thought is possible. And, you know, I really believe that in the future, so many people talk about like coding and, and data science as being these kind yeah. of like essential skills of the future. But my opinion is that like the actual most important skill for the future of work is the ability to learn. You know, it's, mm. we, we don't know exactly what the future holds. It's probably going to have more, more questions and answers. And so rather than being kind of fixed in one way of thinking or having just one skill set, actually think like learning is a muscle, you know, and it's something that can be exercised. And so if we can design the conditions by which learning comes more easily to people, that is the best thing that we can do to, to prepare them for, a, for like a more uncertain in the future. Yeah, no, that's actually really, really powerful. And with the same philosophy, I think the, the most important skill of the future is your ability to adapt. Mm-hmm. And you adapt by being willing to always constantly learn and, you know, ch- and, and be curious, right? And that, that curiosity is something that's incredibly necessary in today's day and age. Lee is saying that she's tuning in from Kalamazoo, Michi- Michigan. Shout out to you, Lee. And she's saying thank you for hosting, Tim, and thank you for sharing Simone. So she's loving what you're already putting out there. Camilla, who is a good friend of mine in the Bay Area, she is tuning in from Palo Alto, and her company, Savitude, does design intelligence. So she is a designer similar to you, Simone. So she's super excited to be viewing this episode. So, you know, let's get right to it, man. What is your definition for the future of work, brother? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, it's one of those terms that's like so broad that it means a different thing to every single person. Um, yeah. I mean, to me, I think like the easiest distinction is between like the, the tech-driven future of work and like the, yeah. pe- the people-driven future of work. So if you think about it on the tech side, you have um, the confluence of like three major trends. One is like Moore's law. So um, like the number of transistors that can fit on a microchip doubles every two years, essentially like our ability to compute information um, gets like condensed into smaller and smaller spaces. Um, mm. And the second is like uh, the development of like really sophisticated algorithms, you know, and you know, you think about tech as kind of like a, a one-way train. And so as we, as we figure out certain things, then um, we are only kind of continuing to move forward and being able to like make sense of, of that information better. Um, and the last is kind of like big data. So like our ability mm. to like capture and process um, enormous amounts of data has never been greater. And so you kind of like take those three and put them together. And that's kind of like the AI side of like, you know, the future of work that allows us to play kind of like bigger and bigger games. So you think of like, um, like, you know, a game of chess, for example, you know, it's mm-hmm. like a fixed board. There's a certain amount of moves that you can play. Um, and that's why it's like a really interesting problem for for engineers to to work on. It's like, how do we think about how to hack this kind of like uh, finite environment? And like with these advancements in technology, you see us being able to play kind of bigger and bigger games. So whether it's like self-driving cars or, or speech recognition or robotics, these are all things that are kind of reaching um, uh, a point where like the technological sophistication um, we have the capacity in order to like think about these broad trends. Um, and then, you know, you pair that with like machine learning, machine intelligence. And um, it means that like these 
these growths are going to be exponential, you know, like as, yeah. as, as these systems that we design keep getting smarter and smarter and smarter, we're really at this kind of inflection point where um, we're seeing the technological side of things take off. And then if you think about like kind of the people side of things, um, yeah. I think it really stems from like demographic changes, you know? So yeah. um, a big one is like the, the aging population, you know, like people are living longer and there are going to be more people who are working longer. Um, and then also you see kind of like uh, the power locus of, uh, of companies of the world kind of shifting, shifting younger. Um, mm. and so like how does this like proliferation of say, you know, workers over age 60 change the way that like the, the labor market is designed. Um, and then you think about trends like, um, say like millennials, for example, you know, you can think about like um, remote work as being a big like trend yeah. in the future of work. You can think about the rise of like the gig economy. You can think of the rise of like freelancers. You can think of the rise of um, like productivity software and apps and things that enable work mm. to happen. You know, these all fall under the same kind of umbrella um, and then another one is like education, you know, so that's, yeah. I, I think about a lot on the, on the people side, given, given my day job, you know, it's like the, we're seeing kind of the traditional model of like, you know, learn, earn, and then return start to start to break down a little bit, you know, yeah. and we're seeing boot camps and other like non-traditional paths towards careers. You're seeing, um, the value of like traditional higher ed really being called into question as, as you know, the, the price tag keeps going up and, and, and there's so much kind of student debt in the world. People are wondering like, what is that return on investment? Um, and then you think about it just from like a um, economic standpoint, um, mm. it's, it's really about like kind of like wages, you know, wages have remained stagnant as productivity continues to increase. There's a, mm. a, a consolidation of wealth um, to a select few. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it all comes to a head sort of in like this, this like Oxford study that is, is so famous at this point now about how like, you know, 47% of jobs will be automated away in the next yeah. 25 years. Um, and, you know, I think like that's where the richness of the debate is, you know, it's like we've had automation before, mm. um, whether this time will be any different. Um, and I, I think like, there's a lot of like, um, as I'm literally sitting in like an armchair right now, there's a lot of like armchair, <laughs> armchair philosophy around like yeah. what that will mean, you know, but I think um, it's just any sort of like question in this realm of like how the nature of what we do is changing and how do we think about like the different livelihoods that, that we need in order to like subsist as a, as a, as a population. Yeah. So, you know, within that confluence of, you know, there's a, a humanistic view of seeing this, there's a technological view, but then you can also see this from an economical lens and an mm -hmm. educational lens, you know, kind of your vantage point, where does your vantage point lie, right? Are you kind of like looking at it from a holistic perspective or are you more so looking at things from the education perspective? And if, if so, you know, what is it that needs to change within education for us to, you know, have more equity in the future of work? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think like I, I, I normally enter from from the education world. Um, yeah. I, you know, there's a, there's a saying that like the the only thing that's changed less than the education system in the last two hundred years is the prison system. You know, like it, in many ways, yeah. like the education system in the U.S. especially, but you know, all around the world is it's pretty antiquated, you know, it's still yeah. like, you know, 20 students sitting down in a classroom facing one direction with like a teacher lecturing up to them up front. Um, and of course there's, you know, this is, there's always been questions about how mm. the education world might be reformed. But I think like the biggest change that 
that I foresee is um, this idea of like working for, I mean, learning for like a chunk between ages of like five and 22 and then like never returning unless maybe like for a year or two for grad school is really going to be like broken, broken down moving forward. I think Um, we're already seeing employers investing in kind of like internal schools within their companies. We're seeing a lot more career switching and a lot more people that um, are trying on different things for size, trying to take like a little bit more of a modular approach to education. Um, And so that's how I see kind of like this like cycle of like, learning, unlearning, and then relearning, just like continuing and continuing and continuing and continuing yeah. over the course of one's career and one's life. And we don't really have the infrastructure to, to deal with that. You know, there are, of course, like some um, bright spots and examples of like ways in which um, adults are being supported through these kind of career transitions. But all in all, um, I think we have a, a long way to go. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100. percent And you know, you know, similar to you, uh, you know, one of the things that we're addressing with our with our company guide is how do we address the skills gap, but more importantly, create a future of continuous training, continuous development. And I think one of the things you mentioned is a lot of companies, especially enterprise scale companies like a Google and a Microsoft, they are they already have their own internal academies and incubators for upscaling and reskilling. And I think it's fascinating because I think we're going to continue to see more companies and in their own academies, right? Because they have the tools, they have the technologies, and they know and they have the know-how on how they want to train their workforce. And I'm interested to get your thoughts, Simone. But before I get your thoughts, I want to show love to our amazing viewer, Sabrina, who has a question for you. She's saying, curious, do you think that workplace learning will influence the evolution of classroom learning? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Thanks for it. Yeah, I think that's inevitable. You know, I think for too long, there's been this kind of like opaque uh, veil between like the the academic world and the industry. And I think it hasn't really served either side very well. You know, I think, um, you know, our school systems are a little bit too insulated. Um, I I mean, I'm a, I, Obviously, as a poetry major, you know, I'm a, I'm a product of a, a liberal arts education, but I think um, giving students opportunity to get real work experience earlier in their lives, working together with employers in order to like help influence curriculum of what are mm. those like skills that need to be taught in schools and having the, the lessons themselves being more adaptable to the needs in the market. Um, and then the other way around too, as well, you know, I think that like education can, can support industry a lot. And, mm. you know, right now we see that in kind of like the R and D and, and where, um, real heavy research is happening. But I, I really do believe in these kind of like public private partnerships and these partnerships between schools and, um, private companies as being like more and more seamless in the future. Um, yeah. one, th- one thing that I'm reminded of is, um, I think it was like Mark Benioff's last keynote. Um, and, you know, he was talking about um, if Salesforce wants to continue to get users, it has to literally yeah. like bring more people online. You know, it has to yeah. <laughs> like get more people operating in this kind of knowledge economy. And mm-hmm. I think like within that, within that statement is, um, Real, really, the incentive, right? Like the the companies need people to be um, adept at using the tools that they're building, you know, and mm. and the schools need to be um, positioning themselves to make the the return on investment more clear for students. You know, I think mm. like 
they've rested on their laurels and, and, and their brand for a long time of being able to say, oh, this is like a quality education. This is a, a network that you'll have for the rest of your life. This is, um, you know, an unparalleled experience, you know, but you know. I think some of the, the alternative paths to getting to career are really um, undermining that promise a little bit. And so I think schools have to get better at really demonstrating their value. Yeah, no, that's powerful. Great response to a great question. Shout out to Sabrina for asking that lovely question. Camila is asking, is mentioning actually, we should think about multi-careers. Finished my MFA in fashion design at 57. She launched at, at Link, launched at LinkedIn, Lincoln Center. Now she's building her third AI company. She's staying nimble and adaptive. Shout out to you, Camilla. She's a pretty superwoman. You know, you know, going on that thread you know of the conversation man you know who are some companies that you've noticed are you know similar to salesforce that are driving this private public partnership and just completely thinking about the the new education models um in the post covid 19 future yeah definitely i mean the first thing i think about is companies that are helping support their employees and yeah. go, go through college. You know, there's lots of programs from companies like Starbucks and they're really creating pathways for especially first generation college students. And then there's a whole bucket of companies that are doing the work to, to train their employees internally. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, what was it? Amazon made a statement that they're investing $700 million in, in reskilling programs. Or wow. I, should, I should double check that, but you know, like, and like a company like, um, like LinkedIn, for example, like they're, they're trying to train all of their employees in like uh, an AI 101 course, you know, because they mm. see it being like in a role to almost every job function in the future. Um, and then I think like there are exciting um, experiments on the academic side. You know, I think there are places like, um, you know, like Lambda School gets a lot of credit for thinking about um, how we can make education more accessible from, yeah. from like a financial standpoint. Um, and, but I actually think that like a lot of the institutions that are picking up the slack are actually like the institutions like community colleges, you know, wow. because of the, just the scale of the number of employees that will need to reskill or retrain or switch careers or, you know, move towards like more stable industries. Um, you know, I think that the, the institutions that have the infrastructure to support mm. the scale of change needed are the ones that are actually having the biggest impact. So I think about like the, the California community college system and the new mm. kind of like online community college that they're just launching now, or I think about ways in which there are fewer kind of like they're doing this and we're doing this and more ways of thinking about it from a systemic view and how might we bring like, you know, schools and um, companies and mm. public institutions together into the same conversation um, to think about this problem more holistically. Yeah. You know, why do you think, you know, because you're, you're a designer, right? Why do you think collaboration is so important to, to address this issue? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. Um, I think that like, on one hand, um, having a diversity perspective helps illuminate the the blind spots of systems. Mm, so wow. for example, like if you look at like the boot camps, um, the ones that are, are most uh, successful, for my opinion, are not the ones that necessarily 
just focus on like the, the academic side of things, just mm. like on like the coding curriculum or, you know, sales development or whatever they're doing. They're the ones that are focusing on like the wraparound services that allows education to happen. You know, mm. it's like things, small things like, you know, companies that are able to like give their uh, students like uh, interview prep or like um, job placement mm. advice, but even mm. to like the, the more granular things like having access to like a, a wardrobe for an interview or like a laptop loaner program or even support for like childcare, for example. Like those are the things that we really need in order to unlock the time it takes to learn to learn new things. And so I think the points of collaboration really really comes to light there and knowing that like learning and um, education does not just happen like in in a vacuum. It's yeah. it, it, it's social. It's it's time bound. So it has to like incorporate itself into people's lives and not the other way mm-hmm. around. And I think that's like one of the main barriers for um, especially adults to like learn skills later in life is like they also have have lives, you know. And I think mm-hmm. like the more that we um, take that into account and really like try and lead from like a user first approach of like, okay, you know, there's a, a single mom in her mid thirties, um, has two kids, like does like showing up to a campus uh, every night from like five to eight actually make sense? Or, or can we think about other ways in which learning might be um, chunked in a way that um, mm. can work around people's lives as opposed to the other way around? Yeah, no, that's powerful, man. That's so powerful. And I think you're speaking to how circumstance, right, and economic limitations can the they can limit someone's learning curve, right? And at the same time, if you have companies really supplying people with the tools, the technologies, and more importantly, the opportunities, the care to, you know, to be curious and have access to quality education, you'll see more people thrive. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Powerful, man. So Camilla is saying, do you think that design concept exploration tools would be helpful? Many people don't have the ex- the skills necessary to do design conceptualization. Yeah. I, I mean, I think like, you know, a lot of times when we think of design, we think of like um, maybe like capital D design, you know, like graphic design or architecture mm-hmm. or industrial design. Um, I think more than anything, at least from um, the perspective of, I guess, my own perspective, you know, the only one that I can really talk talk yeah. from is design is really um, a way of approaching problems. You know, I think it's like yeah. it's a it's a mindset in addition to a skill set, and I think that like um, being able to understand how to like bring optimism and and curiosity towards like the biggest problems in the world is something that is like necessary if we want to create like a more just future for for us all. Um, and, and, but that being said, you know, it's not just like um, something that you can like read a book and then like have like the, t- the, the, the toolkit you need in order to like implement change, you know? And I think that's where, um, that's where like partnerships and education mm-hmm. and being able to um, actually see the path towards implementation and having accountability and having funders mm-hmm. and having, um, the ability to like see how things can like be viable in the world and self-sustaining um, is that much more important. You know, the idea we often think about um, there's like this three circle Venn diagram and, and, <laughs> yeah. and one circle is desirability, you know, like do, do people um, actually want this? Yeah. Um, and another circle is like feasibility. So like do 
can this be made? You know, like whether it's like from uh, the technological limitations or the other kind of like factors that go into like implementing, whether it's like, you know, an app or a school system or, you know, a, a new uh, strategy, you know, is it, is it, is it feasible? And last is like viability. So is it, can it be sustainable? Like can um, it generate revenue? Can it support itself? Does it have the necessary kind of like structures in place for mm -hmm. those three things to come together? And it's only really kind of at the intersection of those three that, um, innovation can like come out of the, the page off of like, just like the mm. ideas realm and actually kind of be put into practice. Yeah, man, that's powerful. You know, great question, Camilla. And Sabrina replies back to your response in saying, interesting, thanks. She definitely believes and thinks traditional workplace learning methods have been modeled after the traditional school system. Mm. But she is inspired by the way companies are dipping their feet into adaptive experiential and accessible learning. She thinks that they are positioned well to pioneer the change in the way we learn in the classroom. What are your thoughts on that, Simone? Yeah, I, I, I never really considered that in a direct way before. Um, but of course, you know, like we replicate the models of learning that we know. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think like one interesting distinction is between like learning and growth. Um, you know, we, we often think about learning as mm. um, somewhere that you like show up and then you like learn the thing and then you leave, you know, whether it's like a 30 minute class mm. or something that you're doing online. Um, and I think like reframing um, the importance of growth and growth being something that can be more continuous, that can be um, a reflection of like all of our experiences, not just mm -hmm. like these like formalized like training programs um, is a, it's a good opportunity to think about like what keeps people engaged and what keeps people progressing. Um, so when put into practice in like a, in a corporate learning environment, like are there ways that we can build in mechanisms for people to do more like learning by doing, you know, like I'm really inspired by um, like apprenticeship programs mm -hmm. or um, opportunities for workers to learn things that um, are outside of like their their daily functions of their jobs. Um, and, and kind of a little bit of what we were talking about in the beginning of like learning being a muscle that can yeah. be practiced. And so I do think like, yes, it's important to like develop the, the hard skills. Like if you want to be a data scientist and you don't know how to like write a script in Python, like it's, it's gonna be a challenge. But I think also um, what I see as a real opportunity from the corporate side is to like really cultivating, really cultivate that kind of like growth mindset and to be mm -hmm. able to help people see themselves as learners, even when they're not necessarily like enrolled in a class per se. Yeah. Yeah, like you're always learning, and you know you should have that mindset of uh, of always of always be learning versus thinking that you're just limited to your job or your skill or your course skill function. Even definitely, yeah. That was a great question, Sabrina, and a great comment. You know, so Simone, I would love to have you share a little bit about what are some of the most essential skills that you think in this day and age the modern worker needs to thrive in, in the future of work. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we uh, obviously like the the one that I keep harping on is uh, the ability to learn, you know, and yeah. and, and, and adaptability. Um, what about storytelling? You know, you're a big storyteller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think storytelling is super important. You know, I think yeah. one um, there's uh, a former source of mine, a thought leader in this space named Jeb Kolka. He works um, 
for for indeed for like you know job job data and job information and one thing that he says time and time again is like um like soft this distinction between like soft skills and hard skills is is kind of bs you know soft mm. skills are um you know they're harder to learn they're 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 harder to teach and they arguably have like a, a longer shelf life they're 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 more important you know yeah. so if you think about things like the ability to to collaborate or um kind of creative um problem solving or mm-hmm. thinking outside of the box um the ability to do um kind of like the the things that a lot of knowledge workers might take for granted you know like um how to manage a schedule within like the g suite or like the um kind of like norms around like how to have a um you know professional meeting like these Mm -hmm. are things that um maybe for like the privileged folks that have been able to go through um and receive like elite educations or Mm -hmm. have grown up in uh digitally native environments or have been kind of doing this all of their life might seem um second nature i think like uh, for a lot of um it's kind of like forgotten workforce these folks that um, maybe are working like hourly jobs and in, mm. in, in industries that don't have a lot of room for growth. Um, the barrier is often on like this kind of like soft skill side, you know, it's about like writing and um, oral and written communication and like email mm. etiquette. And I think there is like a huge potential to be able to teach those foundational skills and not just say, mm-hmm. okay, let's like teach coal miners how to like become front end developers and actually think about uh, a more incremental approach of like preparing people people for an environment that um, maybe is foreign to them, just given their context. Um, In terms of storytelling, you know, I think like, it's kind of like the future of work. It's like one of those like umbrella terms that can mean like so many different things depending (laughs) on on who you're talking to. Um, But I think like fundamentally we're we're telling stories all day long, you know, whether it's uh, you introducing yourself to someone um, Mm -hmm. at a cocktail party or or posting on social media. I mean, I think like one of the the kind of two-sided coins of our modern age is like everyone with a keyboard is now like a writer. You know, everyone with like a camera phone um, is like a, a, it's a photographer, you know? And you develop a certain like- Everyone's a podcaster. Exactly, anyone with a mic, right? Um, (laughs) So like you develop like a certain um, fluency or like an innate ability to think about um, how how do we talk about ourselves? How do we talk about our work? Um, you know, I think storytelling, maybe like a capital S storytelling, like professional storytelling, um, is also as important as ever. You know, I think like for example, like for me, like being like a writer at a design agency, a lot of what I'm doing is like telling stories about the future. Um, which I think is like, it, it, it is strategy, you know, like you're, yeah. you're trying to build alignment with a team for something that no, that doesn't exist yet. Um, and so in order to do so, you have to like paint a picture, you know, in the same way that maybe a fiction author like creates a world, you know, like you have to um, get people to like buy into a future vision um, and, and, and that's storytelling too. And, it, and it's a skill that I think is only going to grow in importance as um, you know, some of those forces that we talked about in the beginning, like the accelerating rate of change and, and the way which technology is, is um, putting everything kind of like on steroids, you know, we're yeah. seeing like, especially with COVID, you know, like there, 
there are many more things that we don't know than things that we know. And yeah. so the power of, of storytellers to be able to find, um, find something that um, people can, can get behind and, and align behind is like the key to actually getting things done. Um, yeah. So that's where, that. that's, that's where I see the value. You know, I, I don't, necessarily think that everyone has to like you know get a journalism degree or like buy a, <laughs> buy a high definition camera you know but i think yeah. like the more that we can think critically about like how we position and frame ourselves and our work in the world the easier it'll be to build consensus um, and, and find believers in order to get things done Man, that's powerful shout out to Emmanuel who is saying virtual learning has come to stay the pandemic has given rise to people thinking in that state, in that path. Great thoughts, Emmanuel. Shout out to you. Emmanuel does marketing analytics with an awesome company. Shout out to Emmanuel. You know, with that said, Simone, what are some books or sources that you encourage our listeners and viewers to take advantage of if they really want to, you know, catch up to, to speed with what's going on right now, man? Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of of books that have been written on like the rise of um, automation, you know, mm -hmm. there's um, like rise of the robot, um, you know, like Martin Ford. I actually think there's a lot of value in um, in reading like science fiction and and historical narratives in terms of like what has happened in in the past. Um, I think like my favorite piece of journalism on this topic. Um, is from this um, reporter for Mother Jones. I think his name is Kevin Drum. I should look this up. I'm sorry if I, I butchered it. Maybe <laughs> I can find the link later. Um, I think it's called something like, um, yes, a robot will take your job or something like that. Yeah. Um, and and then in terms of like the, the more human side of things and thinking about these demographic um trends um one book that i loved is called gigged it's from um, yeah former, former i've editor, read that actually former editor of mine named uh, sarah kessler and yeah i think like the more um human stories we can tell around the future of work the better i think often we get lost in this like realm of like oh the mckinsey study and the deloitte study and like the mm. academic study from oxford said this and the harvard business school case study said that and really trying to like zoom in and individuate the story about being mm. about people's uh, jobs and livelihoods, you know, and it's, it's, you know, the, the reason why, like, I, I care about this topic is not because like, you know, I get off to, to robots or something like that. It's that like the future of work is really like the future of, of people's lives, you know? And, yeah. like, if you think about like how we spend our days is, is how we spend our life. Like it, it, it matters, you know, it should be like, um, a considered decision, and especially when you're like moving down, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and thinking about, you know, like you know, food, water, shelter, and the basic stuff. Like until we are in a, living in a system where um, those things can be met for as many people as possible, mm -hmm. we're not going to be able to like you know move up. You know, we need to think about ways in which we can like reestablish this like social contract that is, is, is really broken right now. Mm. You know, there used to be um, this like, you know, implicit understanding that like, if you, if you work hard and if you check the boxes and especially mm. like, if you like go to college, then like you will be set up for like a middle-class life, you know, where you can yeah. you know, have a family and support yourself and, 
um, and pay your rent on time and pay your taxes and have time for leisure. And, you know, we're seeing that broken down in front of our eyes, you know, like mm. the, the jobs report, you know, 15% unemployment rate, but also like folks that have like crippling debt and mm. all of these ways in which, you know, people are working incredibly hard and it's still not being enough. Um, mm. And so I think we have a lot of thinking to do about how we can um, redesign our education systems and rede redistribute wealth so that we're not leaving so many people behind. Yeah, man, there's a huge opportunity for us to, to, to really address some of these critical gaps, man. I love that. You know, with that said, you know, thank you so much to the amazing guy community for tuning into this episode. Shout out to Paula, who says we should add captions. Once this tool, Paula, allows us to do that, I will definitely add captions so we can make these episodes, these live episodes, more accessible. Great comment and feedback for the software, Paula. You know, Simone, where can people follow your work? Uh, yeah, I think the easiest one is probably Twitter. Um, I'm at Simone Stolzoff, which is just my first name, last name, one word. Um, I also have a book club that... Oh, uh, sweet. <laughs> it's, it's not actually, we don't read books, so it's already, a, it's a lie from the beginning, but um, <laughs> it's a, it's an article book club. So every other Sunday for the past like two, or I guess three years now, um, I've sent out an article to like a group of people and people can reply to, mm -hmm. to participate in like a, a conversation, sort of like a, a virtual online um, article book club. And yeah, I, it's one of the things that brings me the most joy and it's not, um, too heavy of a lift, you know, it's like one email every other week. And so that's a great way to stay in touch passively. Um, so, <laughs> so, so the link to that is like in my, my Twitter bio um, that you can, you can access there. So those are probably like the two things that if you want to stay in touch or follow along um, and also reach out, you know, I'm a pretty, I'd like to think of myself at least as a pretty uh, like <laughs> accessible. Ex accessible person. Yeah. So if you have a question or if you want to learn more about design or journalism um, or any of these topics that we've discussed today, I'd be happy to chat. Make sure to check them out on Twitter. And the last word goes to the amazing Lee Lee, who is saying and is agreeing with you. That is so true. The Maslow's hierarchy of needs fits into every aspect of life. So shout out to Lee Lee, who is in tune with your perspective. With that said, thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guy podcast with the amazing Simone Stolzoff. If you're interested in being a guest or know someone that would be an awesome guest for a future episode, check out our website, utfow.com. Check out our website, utfow.com, if you want to be a guest or a sponsor for a future episode. With that said, Simone, I want to thank you so much for being on this episode with us, man. You are amazing. Keep doing stellar work. And thank you once again, man. Thanks for having me, Tim. Yeah, it's great to connect. All Thanks right. for those great questions, too. <laughs> sweet, sweet. All right, y'all. Thank y'all so much for tuning into this another live episode of Unleashing the Future of Work. Talk to you soon. Peace, love, and make sure that you're safe and healthy. Peace. <laughs>